This podcast is sponsored by NutroFit, official distributor of Onnit supplements in the Benelux and powerful supplier of bulletproof and natural stacks. Your online place to buy supplements and training gear that will help you achieve total human optimization. Try with no risk with our NutroFit money back guarantee, shipping all across Europe within 24 hours. Find us at www.nutrofit.com. We wanted to start the podcast off, and for the people who can't see this, I got a roll of tape in my hand, and we just... I had a guy in my workshops the other day, and he told me he does his uh, thing in his own workshops where he gives everybody a roll of tape, and he tells them, like, I just gave you the keys to more energy. And we're just telling this to our guest today, and he said, like, well, I know where he got that from. Because <laughs> this is something that you actually do in your seminars and the trainings that you give. Yes, since 2002. Nice. So for 17 years, um, we've really, I would say that, um, especially in the Buteco world, put t- taping of the, the mouth on the map. And it's been kind of like people thought we were weirdos at first, but then the clients and students would come back in. And the one thing they report is if your mouth is taped shut, you wake up feeling refreshed in the morning. And that was a key aspect. And coming back to me, like I was a mouth breather for 20 years. Nobody said anything about breathing through my nose breathing through the nose during physical exercise, breathing through the nose during sleep, breathing through the nose during rest. Mm. And it's not just about breathing through the nose, but if you tap into this, just one pillar, breathing through the nose, um, I would agree with the the person who who was giving the workshop, it dramatically increases energy. Wow, yes. Well, I think that gives people an indication about what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about uh, breathing. Today in the studio, we have Mr. Patrick, and you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation because when you say it, it sounds wicked cool. It's McKeown. McKeown. McKeown, I hope I did that right. Yeah, you did it pretty good. (laughs) And um, you're uh, an author uh, with a uh, your your specialty is breathing. Yes, yes. So I came across it purely by accident. Um, I had chronic asthma when I was a kid, okay. all the way into my mid-twenties. And if you have inflammation of your lungs, it's not just isolated to the lungs. So I had a chronic nasal obstruction, mm. and then my sleep is impacted. Anybody with a stuffy nose, if you have hay fever, if you have kind of any sort of stuffiness of the nose, which is causing you to breathe through an open mouth, mm-hmm. you're 1.8 times more likely to have sleep problems. So during my childhood and te- teenage years, I never reached my full potential. And for me to get grades in school, I had to be working about 10, 12 hours a day. Because if you don't have the energy, if you don't have adequate sleep, your day, the following day, you're not up to par. Mm -hmm. You don't have the focus. You don't have the concentration. You don't have the ability to retain information. Um, And you're not in the mood. Because you know it yourself, if we have a bad night's sleep, we're not the calmest the following day, whether we are a child or an adult, the mind is more agitated if sleep is impacted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny, people come in to me and they come in with depression and they come in with high anxiety. And uh, I often ask them, like, how do you wake up? How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? And they say they wake up absolutely exhausted. And I said, has your doctor ever asked you about your sleep? And they said no. And I think it's because the doctor is assuming it's the depression which is causing the exhaustion or the high stress is causing exhaustion, Mm -hmm. or anxiety is causing exhaustion. No, there's a feedback loop here. Exhaustion is feeding into depression. Exhaustion is feeding into anxiety. Exhaustion is feeding into high stress. How can you fulfill your obligations and your role 
every day unless your sleep is right. Mm. And if you're not able to fulfill, if you're not able to perform, if you're, you know, you're obligated, whether it's family life, whether it's work life, whether it's college life, you need to have the absolute capacity to have 100% of your attention doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if we're tired, we don't have our full attention doing what we're doing. Our attention is stuck in our heads. Mm. And this is where the breath comes in, because in terms of it's not just about following the breath. And I have to say, there is so much nonsense out there about breathing. Mm. There is so much misinformation. And people are teaching breathing exercises. They don't know what they're teaching. And the science behind it, they are, it's not true what they're saying. And that's what I want to explore. Oh, wow. We want to explore the intricacies and turn upside down some of the information that's being out there. Yeah. Because what's out there is not necessarily correct. It must be hard to correct a way of teaching, way of science that's been teaching, that has been teached for, for many years. Um, yes. Yes, yeah. but if you were even to look at, say, yoga, for example. Mm -hmm. Many people do yoga and maybe instead of a gym. And why do people do yoga? They do yoga for health, for well-being, for handling stress. Mm -hmm. But when you go to a yoga studio, all too often the emphasis is on the biomechanics of breathing. Yeah. So it's all about lateral expansion and contraction, breathing using your diaphragm, taking big breaths. That's good. But in the process of the biomechanical aspect of breathing, the biochemistry is sacrificed mm -hmm. because the students are told to breathe harder, breathe more air, take bigger breaths. If you take bigger breaths, that doesn't increase oxygen uptake and delivery. It does the opposite. How should we breathe? We should be breathing in and out through the nose. It should be silent. It should be regular. And it should be driven by the diaphragm. Even when you're distressed and working out or... When you're, when you're working out, your breathing is going to follow the same breathing pattern that you have during rest. Mm -hmm. And if I'm looking with athletes, like we work with top athletes, Olympic athletes preparing for Tokyo, um, professional athletes, SWAT, Special Weapons and Tactics, one of our instructors, mm -hmm. trainers to the Navy SEALs. So we've got guys using these techniques at a very, very high level. Because if your everyday breathing is off, your breathing during physical exercise is off. Mm -hmm. And the groups of people who are more prone to breathing pattern disorders are those who are predisposed towards anxiety and those who are predisposed towards asthma or even if they had childhood asthma. So, and it's not just that cohort. You know, if we were to look, 80% of people prone to anxiety have dysfunctional breathing patterns. 30% of people with asthma have dysfunctional breathing patterns. If I look at an athlete's breathing, and if I see fast upper chest breathing, and it's very common, I know that athlete is going to have disproportionate breathlessness. They are uneconomical with their breathing. They're pushing themselves too hard. They're reducing oxygen delivery and they're more prone to muscle fatigue. Mm. It's breathing that will set the limits. That feeling of breathlessness. Um, and also in terms of there's an energy cost associated with breathing and also the diaphragm, the breathing muscles can fatigue. 50% of athletes can have diaphragmatic fatigue during physical exercise. If the diaphragm gets tired, blood is stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm. How many times have you seen an athlete, they're doing all-out intensity, and the next thing the legs are going from under them? Is that due to fatigue in the legs? Is that due to a buildup of hydrogen ion in the legs? Or is that because the breathing muscles, because the breath is trumping everything in the human body? And if the, if the breathing muscles fatigue 
every fu- other function is going to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. So when the breathing muscles fatigue, blood is stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm and the legs give out. We need to train the breathing muscles. We need to optimize ventilation. And we need to understand simple techniques that we can increase oxygen uptake and delivery. And, you know, it's it's so like we can go through different exercises that your listeners can go through, how to open up the nose, how to open up the lungs, um, how to improve your body temperature and how to increase oxygen delivery to the cells. That sounds awesome. Let's, let's do go, all let's, those things. Let's, let's go over that. Like, how should we start our day? Like, what is important to... Uh, get well, the first thing that I would be doing is taping up, start the night before. And also, we need to switch off for sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, modern society has gone absolutely mad. People are stuck looking at phones. Um, they're in a constant state of distraction. Um, constant email alerts, messages, social messages, um, e- um, text messages. And the brain is trained to be distracted. Mm-hmm. And this is not new stuff. You know, in 2002, Microsoft, they surveyed, I think, 3,000 people in Canada. And they found that the, the attention span back in 2002 was 12 seconds. And your attention span is your ability to hold your attention on a subject matter for a period of time without distraction. They then completed the same study or a similar study in 2012, and they found that the attention span had dropped to eight seconds. So that's a significant drop from from 12 seconds to eight seconds in 10 years. And the researchers put it down to overuse of information technology. Now, if our attention span is dropping, our concentration is dropping, but the mind is becoming more agitated. Mm -hmm. And if the mind is becoming more agitated, anxiety is increasing, stress levels are increasing. And with that, if we are exposed to anxiety and stress for a long period of time, it clouds clouds our judgment and it could possibly lead to depression. I think people who were in long-term anxiety, that they got caught so much in their mind and we really have to find ways of training the brain. The brain now is currently trained to be distracted. Everything is a distraction. Mm -hmm. How do you train the brain? Now, coming back to sleep, so I would prepare. You prepare for sleep by slowing down your breathing, by having your attention on the breath, by breathing really slowly in, and by having a prolonged relaxed exhalation. And that will activate the body's relaxation response. And that is setting you up for sleep. Having the mouth closed, Mm. taping if necessary. Don't lie in the back, because if you lie in the back, your tongue is more likely to fall into the throat. And this increases the risk of sleep disorder breathing, including obstructive sleep apnea. Do not lie on your back. Yes. Because I'm a tummy. Is that like the is that the words tummy sleep? Yes, yes, yeah. You sleep in your front. Sounds really cute. Yeah, on posture and on the neck, it might be ideal. But certainly, the left side or the right side is pretty good. Okay. Like obstructive sleep apnea is relatively common, um, especially in males as we get older, Mm -hmm. and we know that men over 40 years of age, they're, 60, they're six times more likely to spend at least 50% of their sleep time breathing through the nose and through the mouth. We know that obstructive sleep apnea, according to a Swiss study, Swiss study 43% of male over 50, 27% of females. And it's not just men over 50 and females over 50. It's any age. But this increases as we get older. And obstructive sleep apnea is related to high blood pressure, cardiovascular issues, 
metabolic issues and even related to dementia. So our longevity is impacted by our sleep quality. Now, to have a good night's sleep, we need to maintain an open airway. You maintain an open airway by breathing through your nose and by having your tongue resting in your, the roof of the mouth. The tongue has got two places to, to be. This airway, which is this airway here, is 1.2 centimetres. It's about the size of a garden hose. We don't have room for air. So if, for example, the person has the mouth open, the tongue is not going to be in the roof of the mouth because the air is coming in through the mouth down the back of the throat. So the tongue is either midway or on the floor of the mouth. As a result, then the tongue is going to be falling into the throat. This is impinging on airway size. This is causing sleep disturbances and you're likely to wake up tired. Mm. So, you know, if I was to give a simple tip, start off with sleep. Like I walked here up from whatever train station. I did five or six strong breath holds because I wanted to be in a state of alertness. It's not just about breathing through the nose, but we can do we can do breath holding and it's not after hyperventilation. So it will be different to the Wim Hof technique. The Wim Hof technique is hypoxic, whereby they're dropping blood oxygen saturation, which we will speak about. Mm-hmm. But it's also hypocapnic. It's getting rid of too much CO2 from the blood. Whereas what we're doing with oxygen advantage is hypoxic, hypercapnic. So there's a difference to that. When you do a strong breath hold after an exhalation and you're increasing CO2 in the blood, the increased CO2 in the blood will cause more oxygen to be delivered to the cells and also will open up the blood vessels. People talk about carbon dioxide. They say it's a waste gas. Bring in as much oxygen as you can. Get rid of as much carbon dioxide as you can. 1904, Danish biochemist Christian Bohr, he said the carbon dioxide pressure in the blood is very important. As carbon dioxide increases, blood pH drops and red blood cells release oxygen to the cells. Mm. It's not just enough to have oxygen carried in the blood. We need to get the oxygen out of the blood to the cells. Carbon dioxide is a catalyst for that. And if you're breathing hard and taking big breaths and opening your mouth and filling your lungs full of air in the belief that it's good to take big breaths, you're not increasing oxygen uptake in the blood. You can prove it using pulse oximetry. Your blood oxygen saturation is already normal as we sit here. Is that and like that's a, because the CO2 gets uh, vented out because of the, the big CO2, breaths? The CO2, the hard breathing, is not increasing the saturation of hemoglobin with oxygen. The hard breathing is increasing mm-hmm. the amount of oxygen dissolved in the blood, but the amount of oxygen dissolved in the blood is only 2% in general. But the hard breathing is getting rid of carbon dioxide. Exactly. And it's the loss of carbon dioxide that's causing blood vessels to constrict And it's the loss of carbon dioxide that's causing red blood cells to hold on to oxygen more readily. Mm -hmm. I want to talk here for two hours. I want to have alertness. You know, I want to increase my carbon dioxide. I want to increase blood circulation to the brain so that I'm focused. And the breath holds you do. So basically what you do is you exhale. (laughs) Yes. You, You don't breathe in for a certain period of time. No, because you'll have a stronger effect. You know, if you breathe in and hold, you're, you're less likely to drop your blood oxygen saturation. Um, you're, you'll have a much more consistent and stronger effect if you have a normal breath in through your nose and normal breath out through the nose, pinch the nose and hold your nose. And then you're walking, holding your breath and walk, you know, until you're feeling medium air hunger, then go fast walker, go into a jog and even go into a run and keep holding your breath during the run. And what is happening then is because as you've stopped breathing, carbon dioxide is not able to leave the body. 
through the lungs. So CO2 is going to increase in the blood. But oxygen, your cells continue to extract oxygen, but you're not replenishing it through your breathing. So again, I'll just give you the example. You take a normal breath in through your nose, normal breath out, you pinch your nose, you hold. Start walking, start fart, fast walking, um, fast, you know, jogging. Full on sprint. Into a run <laughs> and keep doing it until the air hunger is quite strong and then let go and minimize your breathing for about six breaths. That's the ideal way to create a hypoxic response. Like we don't want to go to the extremes of dropping your blood oxygen saturation below 60%. You're in severe hypoxia when you drop your blood oxygen saturation below 88%. Mm-hmm. So that's of all of your hemoglobin, which is a protein which is carrying red, carrying your oxygen, a protein in the red blood cells that's carrying your oxygen. How fully loaded is your hemoglobin with oxygen? If I drop it from normal, which is 95 to 99%, down to below 88%, I'm in hypoxia. If we were to hyperventilate and get rid of so much CO2, Carbon dioxide is the alarm to breathe. So if you hyperventilate before an apnea, you will naturally have a longer breath hold after hyperventilation. Because if you hyperventilate and you get rid of a lot of CO2 from the blood, and CO2 is the alarm to breathe, the brain doesn't send a signal to breathe until the CO2 climbs back up to that threshold. So that's why people who hyperventilate, they can have a longer breath hold. The problem here is, that the breath hold can be unusually long, that the blood oxygen saturation goes below 60%, and then you're at risk of passing out. This is this is what happened to me with the Wim Hof thing. Yes. Because at one point I used to get, in all honesty, that passing out part, it's almost like some kind of high yes. state that you, uh, that you get. Mm-hmm. So I would breathe, and I would breathe myself high, <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, uh, I, I do feel that it gave me a lot in terms of uh, um, coming into your body and yes, yes. you're aware about it. Yes. Um, but, but but you kind of tell it like it's good, it's more like a negative thing, like you're passing out because you're you're short of. Uh, I don't want people to pass out. Um, we had an individual just a few months ago and we had them hyperventilate and then we were having, they were hyperventilating for two to three minutes mm-hmm. and a natural apnea is, it's normal that if you hyperventilate for two to three minutes, it's normal that the brain won't send a signal to breathe because the brain is waiting for carbon dioxide in the blood to increase. Mm-hmm. This individual was totally unresponsive. Slapping his face, didn't respond, mm. and that close to calling emergency personnel. So for me, I don't work with hyperventilation and I think it's important that we know what's happening. Now, is the Wim Hof technique beneficial? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a stressor. And it's good to stress the body within limits Mm -hmm. to force the body to make adaptations which are conducive to better health. So in that regard, it's a stressor. But we have to bear in mind, I don't think it's going to be for everybody. And we shouldn't just be using challenging and extreme exercises, but also look at your everyday breathing. I have two pillars to what I do. One is I get an athlete in or get a normal individual in. I look at your breathing. How are you breathing now? Because how you are breathing now is going to influence how you breathe during your sleep and is going to influence how you breathe during your physical exercise. I want to change your everyday breathing. Optimize your everyday breathing. That will impart benefits. Get the foundation right. Then do extreme breath holding. Because we have two pillars 
that is important. We carry our breath with us all the time. It's very important to be connected with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can optimize your breathing. And it's amazing, the power of the breath. Um, really, when you look at the science, in terms of what you can do, like if I was to go a little bit kind of more sciencey, um, heart rate variability, mm. which I'm sure you've heard of, mm-hmm. is the time between your heartbeats. Mm-hmm. And there's a synchronicity between the, the your respiration, your breathing, and the timing of your heartbeat, and that's called respiratory sinus arrhythmia. So as an indicator of normal autonomic functioning, as you breathe in, your heart rate should be speeding up. And as you breathe out, your heart rate should be slowing down. Mm -hmm. And that's respiratory sinus arrhythmia. But individuals who have been prone to trauma, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder, or they're emotionally unwell, anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, sleep apnea, um, many conditions, they have reduced heart rate variability. They have, we can help that by changing the cadence of the breathing to six breaths per minute. Okay, coming back to functional breathing, there's three dimensions to it. I spoke earlier on that oftentimes in yoga and Pilates, the emphasis on the biomechanics, which is one dimension. I'm not just interested in biomechanics. I'm interested in the biochemistry of breathing. I'm interested in the biomechanics of breathing. And I'm interested in the cadence of breathing. Why the biochemistry? Because your sensitivity to carbon dioxide buildup determines how hard you breathe. If you have an athlete, and if they have a strong sensitivity to carbon dioxide buildup, they will have disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise. You can measure your degree of breathlessness by measuring the BOLT score. We call it the body oxygen level test. Mm -hmm. You get a timer. Maybe it's your stopwatch or your phone. Take a normal breath in through your nose, a normal breath out through the nose, you pinch the nose with the fingers. You're timing it in seconds. How long does it take for the brain to send this impulse to breathe? You'll feel the first stress to breathe and let go. That length of time will give you feedback of your chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide. If you have a strong sensitivity to carbon dioxide buildup, your breathing is hard because it's carbon dioxide that drives your breathing. So I want to get an athlete or I want to get any person in, whether they have anxiety, whether they have asthma, whether they are in sports, slow down their breathing. But not only slow down the breathing, reduce the volume of air that they are taking into the lungs in order to increase CO2 or carbon dioxide in the blood, to expose the the brain to higher CO2, to improve the body's tolerance of carbon dioxide. The bowl score increases and breathlessness during physical exercise decreases. I've seen Olympic athletes measure their breath hold time and they show me 12 seconds. I say, how on earth did you compete at that level? Because their breathlessness must have been to the extreme. They had nutritionist, they had psychologist, they had strength and conditioning coach, they had medical professionals. Nobody was looking at their breathing. Mm. All too often it's seeing that we breathe and the way we breathe, that's the way it is. Our breathing is very susceptible to um, changes in life. Talking, people who talk for a living, they are often exhausted at the end of the day talking. Why? Because if you talk for a living, your breathing is hard. And if your breathing is too much, you're getting rid of too much CO2 and you've got reduced oxygen delivery to the brain. 
that's why talking causes exhaustion. Mm. It's not because of having to concentrate. Like, you know your subjects inside out. People know their subjects inside out. They could do it on autopilot, but it's the effect that talking is having on breathing. Stress changes breathing. When we get stressed, our breathing gets faster, upper chest, harder, irregular. And the same pattern of stress breathing are the same traits of somebody with dysfunctional breathing patterns. Look at MMA fighter Conor McGregor. Mm -hmm. Look at his breathing. Go into YouTube and look at his breathing when he's sitting down doing a press conference. He's not competing. He should be relaxed. Just watch his breathing. You will see fast upper chest breathing. That's exactly the wrong type of breathing. The wrong If, one? Wrong. Oh, I thought you were going to take him as an example. Who's doing no, it yeah. it's an example of what not to do. And that mm. breathing, how would I predict that that breathing is going to play out? that athlete is going to gas out too soon because their breathing is already disproportion, disproportionately um, during rest and it's going to be taxing during sports. And these are simple things. And that's why I would like to, you know, to create awareness of the importance of what can you do to change your breathing. So I'm coming back down. I know I'm talking too much, but in any event, biochemistry of breathing is about increasing your blood circulation, increasing oxygen delivery to the cells. Biomechanics of breathing is about diaphragmatic breathing with lateral expansion and contraction. The diaphragm is not just your main breathing muscle, but it's also responsible for stabilization of the spine, for motor control, for movement. So individuals with dysfunctional breathing have dysfunctional movement, and individuals with dysfunctional movement are at greater risk of injury, lower back pain, ACL injury, Oh, many of these are related to dysfunctional breathing patterns. You cannot have functional movement. You cannot have core strength. You cannot have optimal movement unless you have optimal breathing. And that's not just my words. This is coming out in the last five to six years. The third dimension is I want to change the cadence of the breath. I want to improve heart rate variability to stimulate what's called the baroreceptors. Inside in the major blood vessels, we have pressure receptors. They're constantly monitoring your blood pressure. As your blood pressure increases, the baroreceptors immediately cause blood vessels to dilate. So in other words, our body should be able to cope with the environmental demands that it's thrown at us. And this is resilience. You can increase your resilience, both emotionally and physically, by changing your breathing. So don't just consider breathing targeting one aspect and sacrificing everything else. You should never hear somebody breathe in a yoga studio. You should never hear somebody breathing in a Pilates studio. If you go for a run, of course your breathing is going to increase. But the question is, how much does your breathing increase during that run? Mm -hmm. Are you breathing excessively? Are you breathing more than what you should be? Because if you are, you're wasting energy. Yeah, that's what I feel when uh, we got into running a lot uh, the last half year, mm -hmm. um, preparing for uh, uh, the first selection of the Dutch Special Forces. We got invited by the Dutch commander here in the studio. Cool. So uh, it's going to be a boot camp for three days. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be hell. Um, it's going to be next. It's going to be next month. And um, um, you know, uh, we've done a lot of working out, getting cardio better and stuff. But yes. 
um, I've been looking into this for the last months as well. Like, what can I do to uh, for my breathing? Because the running part is the is the yes. difficult one. Yeah. Yes. Can we can we take yeah. a look at because that's yes. what I was. Uh, there's a couple of um, scenarios that we both get in where breathing is of uh, is apparently very important. The first one is running, and the other thing is. Uh, performances in the sense of speaking because yes, that triggered yeah. me as well and I, I want to run a few things by to see if I understand correctly so I can translate to what I need to do to improve now because sure. I think I got some triggers here sure. um, the first thing is running indeed because if I look at my biggest problem right now we have this distance we have to set in 12 minutes 2800 meters Yes, And my problem is, right now, if I go for that, I'm not making it by far. Because during that run somewhere, I get out of breath. I yes. get real high in my breath. And if I want to push more intensity out, my heart rate gets so high that yes. I, I can't push anymore. And then eventually the man with the hammer comes around and I just have to slow down or else I collapse. Yes. At least that's the feeling I get. So what exactly is going on right there that I'm doing wrong, if I understand you correctly? Um uh, because I'm doing hard breaths, my blood is not giving me enough oxygen that's there because I inhale enough, but the CO2 levels are dropping too low. That's why the oxygen depletion gets bigger. I get in a sort of a vicious cycle and eventually that I can burn be one out. Aspect of it. That can be one aspect of it, that you go anaerobically quicker. Yeah, That's normal if, if O2 delivery to the, the cells isn't happening the way it should do. If you breathe hard, you're wasting energy. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Now, how would you determine it? Measure your bolt score. So you take a normal breath in, normal breath out. You pinch your nose with your fingers. Mm -hmm. You time it in seconds. How long does it take until you feel either the first involuntary contractions of the breathing muscles or the first definite desire to breathe? A minimum should be 25 seconds. If you're less than 25 seconds, it's dysfunctional breathing patterns. And if you're less than 25 seconds, that's translating into increased breathlessness during physical exercise. So then we wonder, how do we increase our bowl score? Nasal breathing during rest, nasal breathing during sleep, nasal breathing during physical exercise. Yeah, okay, you go for a run with your mouth closed. It's tough. Yeah. This is when the body is making adaptations. Most people don't run with their mouth closed mm -hmm. because they're not willing to persist with nasal breathing during exercise for a few weeks to get the body to make adaptations. What happens when you breathe through your nose during physical exercise? As you breathe through your nose, the resistance to your breathing is two to three times out of the mouth. So you can't take as much air in. Mm -hmm. So you're required to do the same level of physical exercise with less air. That's tough at the start. You do that for a few weeks, your body adapts to it. Mm -hmm. Your ventilation, George Dallam, well, I don't know if it's that George is his first name, but Dallam, D-A-L-L-A-M, 2018, got a group of athletes had them train with nasal breathing for six months. Then he measured their, their performance, breathing through the nose versus breathing through the mouth. Breathing through the nose, they adopted to higher carbon dioxide, 44 millimeter of mercury pressure, significant change. They had 22% less ventilation, 22% less. They were able to achieve in a GXT, which is a very tough test, 100% mm -hmm. of their work rate intensity nasal breathing as with mouth breathing. Their oxygen uptake was better and their fraction of expired oxygen was reduced. Their cells were getting more oxygen. 
you know, so I would say to anybody, I'd say for yourself preparing, mm-hmm. I'll give you breath hold exercises to challenge the body. And I'll give you also slow breathing techniques to in order to improve the bowl score. Because if you can have 22% less ventilation, that will translate into economically, it's so much better. What do we mean by ventilation? Ventilation is what you described earlier on. You were saying that I'm pushing myself, my breathing is getting so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the same intensity and duration of physical exercise, you could have 22% less breathing. So, all right, check. So j- just to understand better, why is my body making me ventilate more when, when I start pushing? Why is it doing the that? Stimulus, the primary stimulus to breathe is carbon dioxide. So as carbon dioxide is coming from the cells into the blood, mm-hmm. and as carbon dioxide is increasing the blood because of the increased metabolic rate, you're moving your muscles, yeah. you're the byproduct from the muscles are carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood. Your respiratory center in the brain is reacting to the increase of CO2, making you breathe hard. The body doesn't breathe to bring in oxygen. The body breathes to get rid of excess CO2. I get it. But if we're overly sensitive to the increase of CO2 in the blood, our breathing is disproportionate. So what we need to do is to reduce the body's chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide buildup, and then breathing is lighter during Yeah, sports. because once my sensitivity goes down, my breathing will become less hard because exactly. it's used to the higher levels of CO2 exactly. in the blood. Yeah, and gotcha. you can push it. And this is where nose is breathing. Of course it's tougher. And it will depend on nostril size. Like I'm very anatomically challenged because of mouth breathing during childhood. One nostril is different size to the other. So you could do is get nasal um, dilators. Like if you put one finger here and one finger here. Oh, yeah, I've seen these guys run Mm -hmm. with these like nose clips. Yeah, Yeah, so you could use kind of breathe right strips. They're not great with sweat, but little plastic devices to open up the nose. But the other thing is increase your bolt score. But like in our conversation before this, you were saying that you were waking up at a dry mouth in yeah, the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to start. That's going to hold you back. Yeah. That is one thing that's going to hold you back. People say they nasal breathe. Okay, your nose breathing. How are you breathing when you go for a walk? How are you breathing when you go for a run? How are you breathing during your sleep? Because if we're mouth, like think of the human lungs, right? We have the human lungs. Okay. Where is the greatest concentration of blood? It's not in the top parts of the lungs. It's in the lower part of the lungs. How do we bring the air down into the lower lobes of the lungs? Do we do it through the mouth? No. Mm. Mouth breathing is upper chest breathing. So you think of all of those guys going out for a run. And even today, I was sitting in the coffee shop, looking out onto the street, watching people going by on bicycles. Okay, in Holland, maybe people are nose breeders here. No, they're not. Many were going by with their mouth open. They're doing physical exercise. They're breathing through an open mouth. They are ventilating the upper regions of the lungs. Greatest concentration of blood is in the lower regions. If you breathe through your nose, you're carrying the air deeper into the lungs. You have a better gas exchange take place. The oxygen is getting more readily from the lungs into the blood. But also when you breathe through your nose, you pick up a gas called nitric oxide. And which, as you breathe through the nose, you're carrying this nitric oxide into the lungs and nitric oxide redistributes the blood throughout the lungs. Back in 1988, nasal breathing was shown to increase the pressure of oxygen, PO2, in the blood by 10%, Mm. just by switching to nasal breathing. Nasal breathing is protecting the airways. Mouth breathing is drying out the airways. As the airways dry out, they can become inflamed because moisture is sucked out of the airways. If your airways are narrowing, 
you then feel that you're not getting enough air. You want to breathe harder. So it just, mm. I, like, I think it's absolutely the stupidity of doing physical exercise with the mouth open. Mm-hmm. And is everybody doing it? Yeah, pretty much. So recently I learned that one, one, like the, the turbo is breathing, inhaling through your mouth. Like um, that's the turbo charge of your, your body, right? So uh, you should start off your physical exercise breathing into your nose. Uh, and when you need that extra turbo, you can switch to... Yes, would be, say, different gears. Like, yeah. there's at some point that the intensity gets so hard mm-hmm. that you're probably not going to maintain nasal breathing. However, come back to Dalham's paper, because this hasn't been studied that much. We've seen it in practice over 17, 18 years. We've seen it, what happens? Like, at every level. Now, during competition, I don't care if the guys mouth breathe during competition. But if they were an endurance athlete, I would say to them, you're better off doing your competition endurance because it's far more economical. Mm-hmm. Breathing through the nose. It's the training. Mm-hmm. And at least spend a good proportion of your training nasal breathing. It's tougher. You're bringing air into your nose. You're feeling a greater air hunger. But the air hunger diminishes, I'd say, after about eight to, eight to ten weeks. But also as you're breathing through the nose, you're adding an extra load onto your breathing muscle. It's very important to train the breathing muscles. Um, you're talking about training, you're talking about improving your, your cardio fitness, mm-hmm. you're talking about improving skeletal muscle fitness. What about respiratory? Mm-hmm. Respiratory fitness lags behind cardio and skeletal muscle. We need to train our breathing. And we do that. And that's why you see the work of Alison McConnell. Um, that, you know, and that's why people use these things. Because when you're breathing against resistance, you're adding an extra load on. It's like you're, you're, it's weightlifting for the diaphragm breathing muscle. These muscles here are prone to fatigue. And if these fatigue, blood is stolen from the legs. So when the legs start giving out, that's often diaphragmatic fatigue. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, if we can aerobically, if we can extend the length of time that the athlete is aerobic, in other words, that they are working with oxygen, how do you increase oxygen delivery to the cells? It's based on CO2. So your cells, the, if you look at, again, Dalham's paper, that the fraction of expired oxygen was less. In other words, that the body was using the oxygen as opposed to getting rid of it. And even with nose breathing, it slows down your breath. So as you're bringing air into your lungs, there's sufficient time for oxygen to transfer from the lungs into the blood. So not only is your oxygen uptake better, but your oxygen delivery is better. And if you have sufficient oxygen getting to the cells, the hydrogen ion, which is responsible for fatigue, hydrogen ion gets oxidized and forms water. But if you don't have enough oxygen getting to the cells, the hydrogen ion coming from the cells, it associates with pyruvic acid, it forms lactic acid, and then it dissociates into hydrogen ion and lactate. We, so how can you delay that? Do breath hold training. People talk about doing sprinting to generate anaerobic glycolysis. Go for a sprint and wear a pulse oximeter. Your blood oxygen saturation will hardly drop. During mouth breathing, it will drop down to about 93%. You're hardly in hypoxia. What does the device you're holding measure? measure so this p- here is, these are just little, now you can pick these up very easy online mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. about 20 or 30 euro. And basically there's a little red light 
and a little infrared light in it. Mm-hmm. And the little red light and infrared light is picking up on hemoglobin that's saturated with oxygen. So hemoglobin is the main carrier of oxygen in, in the blood. And you want to find out of all of my hemoglobin, how much of that hemoglobin is carrying oxygen. Mm. So normally it's 95, 95 to 99%. Now, hemoglobin, as I said, like it is the, it's the, it's the main carrier of oxygen. Mm-hmm. 98% of your oxygen is carried in the blood by hemoglobin. And about 2% of your oxygen is dissolved directly in it. So we use these devices because I want to have our individuals coming in, do breath holding to purposely lower their blood oxygen saturation down to about 85%. That's severe hypoxia. It's about four to 5,000 meters high. So, you know, you're talking about a fair height. Why are we doing that? Well, we're forcing the body into a hypoxic, not just a low oxygen, but also a high carbon dioxide state. This is disturbing the blood acid base balance. And we're doing that to force the body to increase um, buffering capacity inside in the muscle so that the hydrogen ion that's coming from the muscle is delayed. So we can delay lactic acid and fatigue. So for performance, you're preparing in what, four weeks is your trial? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a program. I'll give you a breath hold training program, your sleep, your rest. And I can even start with a very simple exercise now in terms of carbon dioxide. Sure, let's go. Okay, so one is you put your hand on your chest, one hand just above your navel. And I want you to really focus on your breathing. So you're feeling the slightly colder air coming into your nose. And don't worry about how you're doing it. Just kind of settle into the breath. So you're just focusing on the airflow coming into your nose and focus on the airflow leaving the nose. And as you feel your breathing, gently start slowing down the speed of the breath coming in. Like pay attention how hard are we breathing? You know, get an idea of how fast your breathing is. Is it upper chest? Is it diaphragmatic? Is there a natural pause following exhalation? And as you're breathing, start slowing down the speed of the breath as it comes into your nose. Breathe almost as if you're breathing hardly any air into your nose. So you're on the inhalation, you're really slowing down the speed of the breath coming into the nose. And then at the top of the breath, bring a total feeling of relaxation to the body so that you're having a prolonged exhalation. So you have to have your lips together. You're breathing in and out through the nose. So you're really slowing down the speed of the air coming into the nose. And at the top of the breath, a total feeling of relaxation. Your breathing movements should be reduced by about 20 to 30%. So try and hide your breathing from me. Make sure your lips are together. So you're breathing in and out through your nose and you're really slowing down the speed of the breath coming into the nose. You know that you're slowing down the speed of air coming in if you feel less air coming into the nose. So you're really slowing down the speed of the air coming into the nose and at the top of the breath, a total feeling of relaxation to the body. Now you're doing it correct. The objective is that you feel air hunger. Pay attention to a few things. One is the saliva in the mouth. Is it less, more, the same? Pay attention to the internal body temperature. Are you cold or warm or the same? Pay attention to your state of mental alertness. Are you drowsy, more alert, the same? So you're slowing down your breathing to reduce breathing volume, to increase CO2 in the blood because we are exposing the body to higher CO2 to cause adaptations 
in terms of achieving a higher Bolt score. This is the biochemistry. And I don't mind if people are breathing shallow or diaphragmatically. It doesn't matter during this because our whole emphasis is that you feel air hunger. I need you to feel slightly suffocated. Now, it's a balance. I need you to feel that feeling of suffocation, but not to go into stress. So if you go into stress, kind of just take a little rest and come back to it. So bear in mind that feeling of suffocation is not because your blood oxygen saturation has dropped. Your blood oxygen saturation is staying the same. The feeling of suffocation signifies that carbon dioxide has increased in the blood. So you're purposely slowing down your breathing to increase CO2 in the blood because you're not getting rid of the CO2 through the lungs. So the CO2 in the blood is increasing. So you're exposing your body to a slight hypercapnic response. Do you feel air hunger? That's the key. The air hunger is the key. Pay attention to what's happening in the fingers internally. Is there any change in blood circulation in the fingers? Is there any change in circulation or saliva in the mouth? It's uh, tingling a little bit in the fingers. And also pay attention to the temperature. So even if you take a rest at that. now, And that would be one of the exercises that we start off with in terms of the biochemistry. We're getting individuals to really slow down their breathing to increase CO2 in the blood. Cold hands are a sign of breathing too hard. So individuals with cold hands and cold feet, they have peripheral blood circulation issues. You know, there's peripheral blood constriction. Um, that's very much a sign of overbreathing. Excessive yawning, excessive sighing. If somebody comes into me and they're sighing a lot, like I have alarm bells going off. This people is probably, if they're sighing very often, panic disorder, anxiety. And I want to change their everyday breathing. And we do that by really slowing down the breath to increase CO2 in the blood to change the biochemistry of breathing. But it's only one dimension. Mm-hmm. Then we have exercises with lateral expansion and contraction of the lower two ribs. So if you put one hand on either side and as you breathe in, that you're just gently allowing the lower ribs to move outwards and we shouldn't really hear your breathing. So as you breathe in, you're gently allowing the lower ribs to move out. And as you breathe out, that the lower ribs are moving in because it takes intra-abdominal pressure to push the ribs outwards and inwards. So now it's the biomechanics, but I'm not having you take big breaths. Now you're breathing deeply in the true sense of the word. You don't hear anybody breathing and it should be in and out of the nose with the lips together. So as you breathe in, your lower two ribs are gently moving outwards. And as you breathe out, the lower two ribs are gently moving inwards. And as you breathe in, the lower two ribs are gently moving outwards. Little bit of chest movement there. As you breathe in, the lower two ribs are gently moving outwards. So you're really concentrating on pushing, just having lateral expansion, not abdominal. It is normal that you will have frontal movement, but I want you to concentrate on side movements. So you're bringing the air deep into the lungs. What's the benefits of this? Diaphragmatic breathing is linked with the emotions. If you breathe using your diaphragm, we tend to have a calmer mind. Slow breathing is also linked with the emotions. If we breathe fast, the mind is agitated. And if we breathe slowly, the mind calms down. Then we would bring in cadence breathing. So with your hands still on either side of your ribs, as you're breathing in, Breathe in, two, three, four, and out, 
three, four, five, six, in, two, three, four, and out, three, four, five, six, in, two, three, four, and out, three, four, five, six, in, two, three, four, and out, three, four, five, six. So that kind of gives you a sample. Now, Wigert, you don't mind me, uh, not Wigert, but Michelle, sorry, you don't mind me saying your breathing is upper chest. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that you have your mouth open more than you realize, mm-hmm. but it's the upper chest breathing that you're not having um, the benefit of optimal breathing. So this would be, instead of breathing slow and deep, you're more likely to breathe fast and shallow. Now, if we think about, if we can slow down our breathing, oxygen uptake is increasing. Alveolar, the amount of oxygen that's actually in the alveoli increases when we slow down the respiratory rate, but oxygen delivery is better. So I'll give you other techniques, um, but I'll have to get you standing and lying on the back and just different. Mm -hmm. I want to get your breathing from the chest down into the diaphragm. But it's not just about the biomechanics. We want to tie the three things in together. So, but, you know, the people watching the podcast, start off trying that. Yeah. You know, the first thing is really slow down your breathing to the point of air hunger. Check your body temperature. Check the saliva in the mouth. You should be coming more drowsy because it's activating the body's relaxation response. So when you really slow down the breath, the water at the mouth should become more watery saliva which is a good indicator of parasympathetic response. And, you know, we were talking about sleep a little bit. Mm -hmm. You cannot sleep if the mind is agitated. Like, I'll give you a story yesterday. I was coming here flying in from London, okay? I was down the lounge and uh, my flight was due to depart at 1920. And I kept on checking the monitor Mm -hmm. and the gate said, will appear at 1950. So, okay, gate is going to appear at 19.50, so the, the plane is obviously delayed. At 19.20, I went and checked the monitor. Gate closed. Okay. So I said, okay, what's after happening here? So in any event, they sent me, I said to the people at the lounge, I said, there's something wrong here. And I says, my plane is there, but I don't know what gate it is. Oh, they said, your, your plane is gone. You've missed your plane. I said, I've been here because I was three hours waiting in the airport. So they sent me out through baggage. And baggage, then I had to come back in. And when I was out in baggage looking for my bag, I got a phone call from the airline. And with that then, I'm sent out through security. Security wouldn't let me back in because my ticket, the gate had closed. To go back to the, go back to um, EasyJet, back again. The captain held the plane for a half an hour for me. Wow. Um, because it wasn't my mistake. Because the monitors in the lounge, we didn't have the intercom. And I came in last night and I was saying, yeah, that's... That is because I was running around for half an hour for 40 minutes. My accommodation was booked in Amsterdam. This was the last flight out yesterday. So, you know, it's normal, even though generally my ability to handle stress is pretty good. Mm -hmm. But in a situation like that bump, I could feel my mind was agitated last night. Mm -hmm. If the mind is agitated, the sleep quality is affected. Mm -hmm. So I'm lying in bed and I'm calming the mind, slowing down my breathing. I have the tools because this is something I practice. Many people have an agitated mind. Yeah. If the mind is agitated, 
your sleep is affected. You know it yourself. If we have a stressful day, just like that event last night, if we have a stressful day, we don't have a good night's sleep because we're twisting and turning. Mm -hmm. And here is where stress feeds in on itself because stress is affecting our sleep and then we're waking up tired and that's feeding back into stress. It's a vicious circle. Mm -hmm. So what did I do last night? I did what you guys were doing there. I was lying there, even on the plane. When I got onto the plane, everything calming down because we can control the functioning of our body through the breath, especially with stress. Anybody who is in stress, there's a great way to counteract it. Do the three things. Really slow down the breath to increase CO2 because you get increased oxygen delivery to the brain. Mm -hmm. This is a calming effect. But also breathe using your diaphragm because your diaphragm is a calming effect on the brain. Bordoni wrote about this. This is why people say take a deep breath. But the interpretation of the deep breath is absolutely nonsense in general. Because you'll see guys, that's Mm -hmm. not a deep breath. That's a big shallow breath. And that's going to keep you stuck in that anxiety. So when I'm talking about deep breathing, it's exactly as you guys were doing. So we're having slow breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, cadence breathing to bring the body from that sympathetic response into parasympathetic. It's a great way to do it. I like the whole, um, the circle you described and the way it calms the mind. We had a guest here called Timo Hans and he talked to us about the growth index. I don't know if you ever heard about this. No. This is the way the body responds to cortisol, the stress hormone, in relation to another hormone that's present in the blood, DHEA or AE. Um, and this strongly determines whether or not it's detrimental to you or not. And this all has to do or can be strongly influenced by what he calls the stress mindset. If you are in a state of mind and you are convinced that the stress you are experiencing is wrecking you, like, oh, my life is too hectic. Why am I doing this? That particular kind of mindset, which gets aggravated by the way you breathe, apparently. Um, But if you can look at your situation like, well, all right, this was challenging, but I signed up for this and I wanted and this is helping me spread the gospel about breathing. So it's worth it. And then that actually has an effect a measurable effect on the hormonal balance between these two hormones I just mentioned. Yes. Uh, and it gets more beneficial. So you, you improve your growth index, basically, by the way you perceive what's happening. And what's very yes. interesting about this part is that you af- immediately affect the way you perceive the situation by the way you breathe. Yes. That's, you basi- have that's, that's the key. Yes. I think that's wonderful. And I think that's something that we need to consider. And I will look a little bit more into this with the growth mindset. We had a we had a, one of our tutors in during the week and he's saying there's five year old kids coming in and the five year old kids are saying that they have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Where are they getting it from? No five year old kid should have anxiety. Mm. They're picking it up from the parents. It's about time that people start copying on. People are in corporations. I'm stressed, stressed. Stress is relative. And it's not the event that causes stress. It's how we react to Mm. the event. You know, so I think what you're saying is really, really important there. I didn't realize the link between the perception and the effect that it's feeding back in, but it makes total sense. Well, that was one of the funny eye-openers I had last year because I talked to a lot of interesting people on Mm -hmm. this podcast. And one of the interesting things is that um, this guy, Timo, he kind of explained to us what the effect of... it's, It's basically your conviction. 
Yes. And then we were talking to this uh, brain doctor called Dr. Swap, and he's telling yes. us about placebos and these that placebos even yes. work if you tell patients that they get placebos. And mm -hmm. what's yes. the one thing that kind of explains it? That's the way they perceive what's happening. So it's yes. all in between yeah. the way you look yes. at the situation that determines what the effect is on you. Yes. And I just learned that breathing is a big dial yes. you can turn if you want to change your perception. Yes, and to normalize it. Yeah. And to help the bodily systems, there's a huge wealth of research to help bodily systems disturbed by stress. But the question I'm going to put out there is, relative stress seems to be magnified now with younger generations than with our generations. We, 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 it was tough. Ireland was tough mm -hmm. in the 1970s and 1980s. You know, it was tough economically. Um, there was, it was challenging for the individual growing up. Mm. Nowadays, it's not tough. It's a no. comfort living. So we're, the body, so the youngster now isn't exposed to any stress. And can those individuals then deal with the challenges that life throws at them when they get out of it? I had a tough upbringing. And that toughness gives you a resilience that when life throws a few things at you, you have a capacity to deal with it. <coughs> How about the kid who's absolutely mollycoddled, he's smothered, she is smothered, they have no stress, no exposure, how are those kids going to live? True. They're yeah. going to have a hard time. You can't, you so. can't really blame them, but I saw a meme recently that totally speaks to what you just said, which was basically a picture of this small uh, Hitler Jugend kid, like 17 years old, wearing army gear uh, and a kid nowadays you know like <laughs> seven, also also 17 years like yeah that guy had to go to the front and this guy oh your words hurt my yeah. feelings like you know it's, it's true yes. uh, basically it's true because the situation determines um what you're used to and how much grit you get basically yeah, and you can the, yes. the problem is you can only increase that by going through it so somewhere we should be happy that the worst thing that can happen to a kid right now, if he doesn't go to the next classroom and doesn't get his participation certificate, some, somehow it's great that we achieved it, but it's not helping him become stronger. And, and I wonder how can yes, you expose kids a to a certain amount of... Sports. Sports. Yeah, it's go. the only thing. Yeah. Because you're going to have defeat. You're going to have wins. If you do it right. Well, you're going to have defeat in sport anyway. You know, yeah. you go out onto no matter what sport you have, there's chance that you're not going to get picked. Mm -hmm. These are little disappointments. And, you know, even, and it's all about the kid participating. And it's about the kid doing their best. And we have kids coming in doing breathing exercise. Like, I left some children coming in with anxiety and asthma. I never care about where you're starting. But I want you, if you're coming in as a youngster, I want you to give this your best shot. Mm -hmm. I want you to challenge yourself. Because this is how we learn. And this is how we grow. Like, I realize that a certain amount of too much stress is not good. Mm -hmm. But it's little teaspoons of stress. Because our objective is, and I'm a parent, and my objective is that I can prepare children and my own kid for to be able to face life, to be able mm -hmm. to cope with it out mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And if we're not doing that, this whole molly coddling thing now, has gone to the, is, the is extreme. However, sport enough to emulate, like uh, you you said something about Ireland when you were young. Yes. Uh, I think it's different than uh, Holland when I was young, but uh, is sports enough to emulate that certain type of stress? I don't know what's, what's so particularly bad I about it. I think you're going to be exposed to disappointments. I think it gives kids the resilience. 
if you want to excel, you have to practice. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen overnight to you. You know, you're not going to become an instant swimmer by swimming two sessions today. You have to keep at it. So there's longevity. There's resilience there. Like our society is now is all about instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Like somebody sends me in an exam to correct and we're correcting exams. And my schedule is, is pretty crazy with travel and things like that. And four weeks later, I don't because I have a backlog of exams. Why isn't my exam corrected? Well, it's, I can only do so much because there's an expe- expectation there. We hit a button on the, the website. We get it delivered today. Mm-hmm. But this instant gratification, you know, this is short term fix. We have to be looking at what is the long term here, you know, and training kids. I think sports is the big aspect. And the other thing I'll say is no child I'm going to tie it back into breathing. Mm -hmm. No child who is persistently breathing through the mouth is going to reach their full potential. Here is why I I will explain. 60% of the growth of the child's face is achieved by four years of age. 90% of the growth of the child's face is achieved by 12 years of age. A mouth breathing child, they don't have their tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. And as a result, their tongue isn't supporting the growth of the jaws and isn't supporting the growth of the face and isn't bringing the jaws forward. So a mouth breathing kid, their face is more likely to sink downwards. I was a mouth breathing kid. Okay, my nose is bent. My nose is crooked because my maxilla, which is my top jaw, hasn't came forward enough. Mm. Because my maxilla hasn't come forward enough, my mandible isn't forward enough. Because my jaws aren't forward enough, my airway is compromised. If your airway is compromised, your sports is compromised, your sleep is compromised. So with children now, and I would say it's like any parent that has kids, if the kids are mouth breathing, show them different exercises to decongest the nose, which I can show you now. And we will have a children's, we have a children's online program free of charge um, that any kid can do the exercises, that there's absolutely no charge to it. Does it? Involve taping up the This is an mouth. interesting one. Since 2002, we have <laughs> you been... You can get charged for that. <laughs> since 2002, we were taping mouths, yes, now. But I've changed. Um, the last, <laughs> the last few years. <laughs> like, I had to get children breathing through the nose. Yeah. But we get the kids taping during the day because I wanted that form, that neuroplasticity, when the child is distracted, when they're watching TV. And... Like, yeah, like I admit, you know, we've had kids and I taped up my own kid um, when she was three and four and five years of age and she continues to wear the tape. Now, it's not safe. And I'm going to put this oh, point out. Oh, too bad, out. because if marketing-wise, in Holland, I got a couple of friends, they would <laughs> buy your training in an instant. Oh, it's 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 totally perfect to tape out my kid's mouth. Sure, sure, where do I buy there this? Is, you know, and it is a very, it is the one thing that's a little bit. So for the last few months, I was thinking, how on earth can I get kids breathing through the nose? So I developed a tape, um, and I don't want to make a plug of it, but we have a new tape coming out that surrounds the lips and it's based on kinesio tape, which is stretchable. But we had to test many kinesio tapes to make sure I use my daughter as the guinea pig. And we had to get the right size, get the right hypoallergenic, because I knew, because when she was waking up with a rash in her face, I knew then that that was a problem. So how do we get it that the glue was perfect? (laughs) And we've, I think we're almost there, so it's going into production, that we can get children now to wearing a tape so basically you have, it's like an O and it's called my O tape. Mm-hmm. So it's like an O, you take off the paper, you stretch it about 20% and 
and then you place it around the lips and it's the tension created by the stretch that's bringing the lips together oh, mm-hmm. and we have to get the lips closed but I would say to parents like ask the children and um, you know especially if they're chronic mouth breathing when they're watching TV get get Tria Micropore tape or any sort of hypoallergenic medically grade tape from the local chemist and just put a small strip of it this way across the child's mouth just like to that get them, yeah you could do just to get them connecting with nasal breathing if a child is mouth breathing, their sleep is often impacted. They have 10 times the risk of learning difficulties. Also, mouth breathing during childhood is forward head posture. Mm-hmm. The mechanics of breathing is affected. The child is more likely to be anxious. They're up in their upper chest. Concentration is affected. For me going to school, I was driven that I had to spend 10 to 12 hours a day doing it. And the reason that I had to study so much was not because I was stupid. I didn't have the capacity to concentrate because my sleep was impacted. No kid who is mouth breathing is reaching their full potential. No adult who is mouth breathing is reaching their full potential. Mm. Yeah, you got me with the watching TV. That got me thinking like that's a great way to when you're doing something else to start doing that training. So what I'm going to start doing is when I do my deep work, um, when I sit behind a computer and I do focus work, I'm just going to tape my mouth shut, yes. which is probably going to increase the amount of focus I can generate in that particular couple of hours. Well, you'd be more likely to breathe using the diaphragm. You're more likely to breathe slower. And I would say that your resilience will be better as opposed to fast. Like, how do we breathe when we're stressed? Fast upper chest breathing. Mm-hmm. Well, if an individual is mouth breathing, they're breathing fast in upper chest that's fight or flight response. Hmm. I got a question about that uh, sports was related about um, quick breaths. One sport I have to think about all the time with, with na- um, mouth impairment is uh, you, you talked about Conor McGregor. Yes. Fighters. Yes. So what fighters do, they have these mouthpieces. So they, when I wear a mouthpiece, I breathe in between my mouthpiece. going to switch more to nose. But what these guys also do, and I was wondering what you think about that and if that's a benefit or not. I'm taught, how do how are you taught to breathe when you punch? If you go back to your kickboxing training. You exhale. That's, you're yes. supposed to exhale with the, and you can go way longer if you do that right. Yes, but if but, I listen to what you're saying. But can you, do you tell me this? If you're in the ring and if you're faced with an opponent that you're going to be thinking about how you're breathing and how you're punching. I don't think that connection is there. But what I will say is, you can imagine an MMA guy and they're in a chokehold. And that chokehold is generating a sensation of panic. Carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood. The carotid arteries are shut off. What I would do is, to improve the resilience of that individual, I'll bring it back to repeated sprintability, which in a moment, any athlete getting into the ring should have a strong breath hold, a long breath hold. Mm The both score should be long, but we also have a test called the maximum breathlessness test. So for, for instance, high intensity training, I want to see what's the maximum tolerance of this athlete's breathlessness. And it's a very simple test. I have them breathe in through the nose, breathe out, pinch their nose, and I have them walk. And I want to wa- see how many paces can they walk holding their breath to an absolute limit. Mm-hmm. And 60 is the minimum. They should be able to walk 80 to 100 paces on an exhalation, then we have a good athlete. Now, let's look at one paper by Wurons using the same exercises that we've been using. Um, repeated sprintability is a performance indicator in team sport, in soccer, in rugby, 
basketball and also in, in fighting mm. because you've got an athlete going all out effort. Mm. There's a very, very brief recovery, all out effort again. Yes. So they measured repeated sprintability in professional rugby union players, 21 years of age, 35 players. The repeated sprintability pre um, the challenge was nine before exhaustion. They divided them into two groups. The experimental group, they had them do 40 meter sprints, inhale, exhale, hold, sprint for 40 meters, holding your breath. 30 second recovery, sprint for 40 meters, holding your breath, eight repetitions per set, two sets per week. And after four weeks, their repeated sprintability increased from nine to 14.7 before exhaustion. Now bear in mind, these are professional rugby union players during competitive season. Now, usually when you're working with an elite athlete, if you can get a 1% margin of improvement, that's big. Their repeated sprintability increased from 9 to 14.7. That's ridiculous. That's huge. Yeah. So, you know, we cannot ignore. That's why I, like, I often wonder how breath holding and breathing hasn't. And I think it's because, you know, as individuals, humans were very rigid and we're very resistant to change. And the strength and conditioning coach has been trained this way. Mm-hmm. And the physiotherapist has been trained this way. And nobody is looking at breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, how many medical doctors talk about the importance of breathing through your nose for increased oxygen uptake, increased oxygen delivery, protection of the airways. You, do, you Doesn't think, happen. do you think that we, we lost that way of breathing along the way? Because um, in a more prehistorical setting, it will be yes. different. Yeah. Abs- where did that, where did that go wrong? Yeah, it's not Modern life. Of, yeah. You know, if you start looking at the connection between crooked teeth, all mouth breeders develop crooked teeth. Crooked teeth is a recent phenomena. Crooked teeth is not because the teeth are too big in the mouth. Mm-hmm. It's because the jaws are too small. If the child is growing up with the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, the tongue is U-shaped. And it's the pressures exerted by the tongue in the roof of the mouth that develops the top jaw. If you look at primitive cultures, and there's, there's a book that was written, probably the first book in nutrition, kind of that became popular back in 1938, I think is the, the year. It's it's a book by a doctor, Weston Price. He was a dentist. Yeah, I know. And it's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And when you look at the shape of the jaws, of the individuals who were staying and sticking to their traditional food, they had... If you have them open their mouth, you could see about 10 or 12 teeth because the jaws were so beautifully formed, wide U-shaped, perfectly straight teeth. And all it took was one or two generations of eating a processed diet, sugar, and it caused children to be mouth breeders. Oh, wow. And as a result, then the teeth are crooked. Like children, it's not genetics that are causing crooked teeth. Why are we blaming this on genetics? It's the environment. It's the change in our food, it's probably lack of breastfeeding mm. because breastfeeding is also important for the development of the muscles necessary for craniofacial growth. It takes effort for the baby to take the milk from the breast and it's a workout for the jaws. Breastfeeding is not about just nutrition. Yeah. Breastfeeding is about the development of the face. And the other thing is the food that we're eating. Like what are we eating? How many McDonald's are here? How many Burger King? Yeah pre-chewed food, total crap. We're putting it into our mouth. There's no, whereas our ancestors would have been getting a piece of steak, tough, eating it, 
developing the jaws. Mm. So many things have changed and stress levels. See, it's, I'm, I'm kind of on a tirade, I feel, at the moment. No, that's uh, all right, these questions. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, but you see that it has changed. But I'm coming back to this. Functional dentists, if any child is embarking on orthodontics, make sure that the child does not have teeth extracted. The problem is not that the teeth are too big. The problem is that the jaws are too small. So a good dentist, and the earlier the child is intervened, the better. And here is where the orthodontic profession, you've got two schools of thought. You've got one orthodontist that believes that the teeth are too big. Let's extract teeth. Mm. Now, in the extraction of teeth, what happens to jaws? They become even smaller again. And what happens to airway? It becomes smaller. We have seen kids coming in. Now, I'm talking about kids. They're in their 20s. They had orthodontic treatment at 12 years of age. They had teeth extracted and their sleep deteriorated post-extraction. You have another school of thought. Let's put in maxillary expansion. Let's gently widen the jaws. Let's direct the growth of the jaws forward because it's not just about the teeth. It's about the airway. Mm. And you have individuals, Dr. Bill Hang from California. He's an orthodontist. And for... I would say three decades, he has been looking at not just the teeth. He wants to know about the airway, airway focused. Um, Dr. Mike Mew, Dr. Professor John Mew, and you've got individuals and these now are challenging the orthodontic profession. And here again is resistance to change because the university trained orthodontists, and by the way, these guys are orthodontists, but what they're saying is that what they learned in university was not correct. Mm-hmm. Who is doing the teaching in universities? But oftentimes there are guys in their own little sheltered environments and that they're not, you know, we, it's not just about the academics, but it's also about the clinical experience of working firsthand with clients. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn from working firsthand. You pick up stuff, you learn by mistakes. Mm-hmm. I've made mistakes, but you learn from them and you're honing your skills. And this may not be... Like there's very little research looking at the instance. If we get individuals breathing through their nose during sleep, does it make a difference? Absolutely. Has the top sleep doctor in the world talked about it? Yes. Dr. Christian Guimano, sadly he passed a few months ago. He spoke from 2014 to about 2018 about the critical importance of restoring nasal breathing for sleep. Here is the individual, this doctor discovered, not discovered, but coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea, developed what's called the apnea hypopnea index, which is the measurement of the severity of sleep apnea. Here you have the top sleep doctor talking about nasal breathing. How long is it going to take before it gets down into general practitioner level? Mm -hmm. 20 years. That's how long it takes. And that's because of the way academics work. And yes. Yeah. Well, I yes. think I was, because I was listening to that and that's something you hear uh, other uh, uh, professors that have a certain message or something of value that they want to push out to the yes. world uh, talk about. I think podcasts, however, are the antidote. Absolutely. <laughs> because, Absolutely. because you go straight to the guys that yes. really need and to hear you it. You know, I like, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I can understand the importance of clinical, double-blind clinical trials mm-hmm. for pharmaceutical intervention. Because if it goes wrong, it can go horribly wrong. But for nose breathing, you, you pick up try. any textbook, any medical textbook, you will see the functions of the nose. 
Does it make common sense? Like when you think of the extent of the nasal cavity, you know, here we have the tongue and sitting above that is the nasal cavity. So, for example, if you were to put your tongue into the roof of the mouth and drag your tongue along the roof of the mouth. So put your tongue into the roof of the mouth Mm -hmm. and drag your tongue all the way along the hard palate until you feel the soft palate. The roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. Nature doesn't waste space. Mm. That nose is performing very vital functions in the human body. Mm-hmm. So we let's use it. I, uh, I learned myself to do that. Um, when I'm typing, my tongue touches the, the roof. Yes. But it's more out of a Taoism book that I actually had it. Yes. Actually, I have the book here. The Way of the Superior Man. Breathing yes. while having sex, people. Yes. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah, uh, basically it's saying that the energy can flow through your, uh, yeah, it makes, yeah, it, it connect. makes, it connects. Yeah, that's where, yeah. So that's true in your uh, opinion as well. Yes, yes. Like ancient cultures, cultures know about this. Um, there's a new book coming out called Restoring Prana. And it was written by a yoga therapist of 30 years. And she developed, I think it's chronic fatigue. And she developed, I think she'd sleep apnea. So here you have a yoga instructor that's really well-trained, working with very serious medical conditions, multiple sclerosis is what I think she was working with a lot. And she was getting health complaints. And she started investigating breathing. How should I breathe as a yoga instructor? Should I be breathing hard or should I be breathing light? Let's go back to the ancient sutras. She went back to the sutras, all about light breathing. The ancient sutras didn't say to breathe hard. Your breathing should be, they used the word was subtle. And here's the genius of all of Eastern, um, the information and the knowledge that come out of when meditation, with yoga, with Taoism, that that information was absolutely truth. But when it got passed down through the generations and when it became westernized, it has lost some of that truth. Mm, And I will say with breathing, I really think that individuals who are learning yoga and teaching yoga really explore the physiology of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Are you doing your students harm or are you doing your students good? I, to give you an example, I had, was doing an exam at a university in Dublin, Trinity College, and I was anxious before an exam. Mm-hmm. So what did I do to help calm down? I went for a walk for five minutes and I started taking these full big breaths. And what am I doing? Get Unknowingly getting rid of carbon dioxide, reducing blood flow to the, my brain. And I walked into the exam and I was absolutely spaced out. Couldn't concentrate. Mm-hmm. I was already stressed. And the hyperventilation put me into an extreme stress. Mm. How, you know, and this was information that's out there because it's all, what is the information out there about breathing? Breathe hard. Mm-hmm. It's not breathing hard. You know, anybody, if you were walking up a flight of stairs, if the guy next to you is breathing hard, at the very least, you're going to say, well, this guy is totally unfit. You know, it's not a good sign of health. Efficient breathing. Animals are innate nasal breathers. We were born breathing through the nose. Nose breathing, slow breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah. How about breathing out? Like, um, this is a common thing, like breathe into your nose or out through your mouth. Yes, yes, yes. Again, it doesn't make sense. No animal is doing it. Hmm. Like a dog will periodically mouth breathe to regulate body temperature. The dog today in the cafe down there, the big Labrador, nasal breathing, because mm-hmm. the day is pretty cool outside. Your nose traps moisture and heat. If you think of the human body, 
the body has expended an energy. As air is coming in through the nose, mo- the, the air is moistened and heat, heated up. Mm-hmm. And that warm, moist air is coming into the lungs and that facilitates, facilitates oxygen transfer to take place. Now you've got the warm, moist air on the exhalation coming from the lungs back into the nose. And what does the nose do? It traps the heat and moisture on the exhaled breath. So it's conserving energy. Uh-huh. If you were in India, where it's very hot, it makes sense to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth because you're getting rid of heat. Mm. But not when you're in Europe. And the other thing is there's 42% greater water loss breathing out through your mouth. So say, for example, on a very hot day, going for a run, you're more likely to be dehydrated. And especially if you're doing an endurance, if you were to do an endurance event with strictly nasal breathing, you're conserving and holding on to all of that moisture. Think of the individual who's waking up with a dry mouth in the morning. That dry mouth, there's, there's a reduced saliva in the mouth. Bacteria is more rampant, contributing to bad breath, contributing to inflammation of the gums, traumatizing the airways, and also increasing dental cavities. Mm-hmm. Runners, endurance runners, I would say that any dentist who's looking into the mouth of an endurance runner, because that individual is mouth breathing and having a dry mouth, that they will have increased dental problems. Interesting. I've got one more question about the running, and then I want to ask something about um, the the breath um, in relation to uh, mental performances and speaking. Yes. Um, Because I'll I'll not forgive myself if I do not ask, because since we started running, we started uh, working with these watches. One of the things it tells me is my heart rate zone, but it also every now and then uh, either compliments me or scolds me when my VO2 max changes. What's VO2 max? Yeah, so VO2 max is the maximum capacity of the body to to transport mm-hmm. and to utilize oxygen. All right. So what's the maximum capacity of your body to, you know, as oxygen is transferring from the lungs into the blood and also to utilize that oxygen from the blood to the cells. So that's VO2 max. Mm-hmm. Can you increase it? Some studies are showing that breath tolling, yes, it does because... If you expose your body to intermittent hypoxia, mm-hmm. so you breathe in, breathe out, you hold your nose and you're lowering your blood oxygen saturation, your kidneys become hypoxic because there's not enough oxygen and blood flow getting to the kidneys. And your kidneys synthesize a hormone called erythropoietin, EPO, EPO. Mm. And this was what, say, the Tour de France guys would have been taken. Now, EPO, the reason that they were taking the hormone EPO was because EPO sends a message to the bone marrow to mature red blood cells, to increase your oxygen carrying capacity. And if you can increase your oxygen carrying capacity, you can increase your VO2 max. Now, there's quite a few papers showing that, yes, we can increase hemoglobin and hematocrit by doing breath holding. There are some non-responders. So that's why it's not always specific, but we have seen some individuals that their hematocrit was up to 55%. And I'm saying, okay, Now this is even going too high. So that's one aspect of VO2 max. The other aspect is that there's a few papers showing a correlation between CO2 sensitivity and VO2 max. Mm. Now, this may be based on the premise that, remember the definition of VO2 max, the maximum capacity for your body to transport, but also to utilize Mm -hmm. oxygen during intense exercise. How do you utilize it? We need red blood cells releasing oxygen to the cells. What's the catalyst? 
heat and carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So if you're breathing through your nose, the CO2 is inevitably higher in the blood. And as the CO2 is higher in the blood, that's going to act as a catalyst. It's going to cause what's called a right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. More oxygen gets delivered. Now, the only thing about nasal breathing is at the start, it's taxing. And you're not going to achieve your 100% work rate intensity. You have to be persistent to it because this is where the body makes training effects. So could VO2 max be increased as a result of putting this into practice? You know, I can't say for absolute certain. Mm -hmm. um, in some theory, it's showing that, yes, it could be. But I think you're going to get many, many other performance improvements without that. Well, maybe because uh, also because... Um VO2 max can be increased by working out, by, yes. by, by forcing the body to adapt uh, to higher yes. workloads. Um, if I understand correctly, by the way you breathe, if you adapt to this new way of breathing, you can increase the intensity of your workout, right? You could, you because could, you improve yes, your yes, yes. So you don't need, for a given duration and intensity of physical exercise, you don't need much air, as much air. So as a result, then you've got more air and you can do more. So your intensity yourself. increases that and thus increasing your yes. VO2 max that, as well. That could be one way of looking at it. All right. Yes. But like I know in it's a couple of the papers with regards, even though the breathing was 20% more, um, 22% reduced ventilation, the respiratory rate was, was significantly reduced. The athlete is becoming more economical. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we have one measurement as VO2 max, but what about economy? Like, what about, there's so many different things that we can be measuring and um, not just isolating it to one thing. And you'll always have studies, you know, it, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to find where is the weight of evidence. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, you, you will, like athletes go up into high altitude. There's always some non-responders. But it's not just for a hypoxic stimulus. There's other benefits there as well. Yeah, yeah. Another benefit that's uh, that's sort of a side effect, but very important in uh, improving your overall strength and uh, and cardio is rest. Yes. Uh, you don't get stronger Sleep. during the exercise. You get stronger yes. after. And, and, and one of the recovery. first things we have a coach that uh, that helps us with doing this whole uh, special forces thing. Noel, yes, uh, he's great and one of the first things he's like we got to work on your sleep because you yes. guys probably only sleep six to seven hours i want it to be eight to nine at least yes yes um, but i'm gonna kick in there because you can have an individual who sleeps eight to nine hours is still waking up exhausted well that's what i learned so today so if you is, start it this is the mm. elephant in the room yes. is not necessarily <clears throat> the quantity of your sleep it's the quality of your sleep mm -hmm. and it's really about getting the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth breathing in and out through the nose but also slowing down your breathing. Remember the exercise we did earlier on? If you do that exercise for 15 minutes pre-sleep, this is taking you out of that sympathetic state into a parasympathetic state. And also, if you wake up during the middle of the night and the mind is all over the place, mm -hmm. start slowing down your breathing mm -hmm. because it'll help you get back to sleep quicker. I think this will increase. If I look at my phone, I get a sleep analysis for my sleep pattern. Yes. Uh, I have... Uh, I have like uh, regular sleep but then i have deep sleep and, that's and every night i get good deep sleep i feel yes. so much better yes but every now and then i only get 25 minutes of deep sleep yes then, yes yes and you feel very different in your energy and this kind yes. of breathing is going to increase your deep sleep I yes without a doubt and i would say without a question of a doubt very understudied one study going back olsen in 1981 
um, got a group of individuals, tested how deep or light they were sleeping, mouth breathing versus nasal breathing. Mm. No comparison. We have so many people wearing aura rings. I'm not a technological guy. I don't wear anything. Um, but we the feedback is those guys who are wearing the aura rings, which is tracking their depth of sleep, mm-hmm. that their depth of sleep is improving by virtue of nasal breathing. I would breathing. reckon yeah. after listening to this. But it's not just about nasal breathing. It's slow breathing as well. Mm-hmm. Because if you have that individual fast upper chest breathing, you know, and it wouldn't even, it's not even noticeable. Like you would be looking at the person and, you know, it's kind of hidden that when you look at their breathing, but you can pick up on it, that is going to translate into agitation of the mind. And that person is more likely to be aroused from sleep. Like to give you an example, Stanford Medical School, March of 2017, they identified a new structure in the brain in the locus corollis. And they said that this structure is spying on your breath. And if you breathe fast, this structure will relay signals of agitation to the rest of the brain, but is also more likely to arouse you from sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in sleep apnea, like there is, there's a phenotype called arousal threshold. And arousal threshold is how likely are you to wake up from sleep? So say, for instance, if you're snoring, does that waken you up from sleep? And if it does, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because then you're waking up exhausted because you've got continuous sleep fragmentation. We want to have deep sleep, and we want to have a decent duration of deep sleep. Mm-hmm. So for training for the special forces, without a question, sleep and recovery are huge. Reco- yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Great. Um, that that explains a lot. That was clear. Thank you. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask about, and you mentioned it in the, uh, the success tip we recorded earlier, but I had to write it down immediately because it's just too good not to have at least a little bit of a talk about. Um, if you look at what we are both doing uh, next to the podcast, we give workshops, we give trainings, we give seminars. Um, he's a public speaker now. And um, you gave a, a, a success tip about certain breath techniques that allowed you to tap straight into the zone yes uh, and that's that uh, that that was basically you described the flow state yes which is like the holy grail of productivity um yes. so i wanted to zoom into that a little more because that's just too good to yes not yes do. when people talk about the zone how are they talking about it are they talking about it on a theoretical level or are they talking about it on an experimental level mm-hmm. you you could be handed an apple and you could bite into it and taste it. That's experimental. That's experience. Or you could do a PhD in an apple. When I'm talking about the zone, I'm talking about having a practice in my life. And I don't formally meditate. Um, but I connect with my breath very often at different times throughout the day. Mm-hmm. My breath is with me. As we're talking, I feel very much in the present moment. And oftentimes as we talk about the subject, it brings you into the present moment. There's a structure in the brain that any time that I'm doing pre-presentation, I can automatically bring my attention to it. I've no idea what's going on. But I think it's something that developed over time. And I did it through focusing on the breath because I remember in my 20s, I had a very agitated mind and a very stressed mind. And I didn't have a capacity to stop thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about education. Education is teaching you how to think. Mm -hmm. It's teaching you how to analyze to break information into tiny pieces. It's teaching you how to think, but it's not teaching you how to stop thinking. How can we concentrate unless we have the capacity to focus? And I mean 100% of our attention on what we're doing. Mm -hmm. 
Like I remember studying for exams and you could be reading same material and you're reading a page and you're looking at the page. But is your attention on the page or is your attention stuck in your head? Mm -hmm. And this is where it's really, really important that we can improve our capacity to concentrate by training the brain to hold its attention on the breath. Now, yes, the mind wanders. You bring your attention back onto the breathing. Mind wanders. You bring your attention back. And whether it's neuroplasticity, some change takes place in the brain that then when you want to tap into that, and where do I tap into it? I can feel it happening now. And I know it sounds a bit new agey, but you were saying it's coveted. It is coveted. People can't do it. And I think anybody can learn this if they give six to eight weeks. And I'm not saying, will it happen in a short period of time? Yeah, some studies seem to show that concentration improves in that time by simply having a practice focusing on the breath. The part of the brain that I feel my attention going into is right here. So maybe that can be explained from something else, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I can bring my attention immediately into that part and I can hold my attention there. And I'm absolutely in the present moment that you're moving simultaneously with time. I give talks, you know, and it's always like public speaking can can be a challenge, you know, and I'd always say to people, start off small um, and gently build it up. And I have my own ritual. I never turn up at a talk four or five hours behind for the event because you'll end up talking to people and you have total decision fatigue mm -hmm. that your energy levels are totally sucked out of you. I want to conserve my energy for the time that I'm out there on stage. So I won't turn up at a conference. If I'm talking at two o'clock, I won't turn up to that conference until about 1.30. In that morning, I'll get up early. I'll probably go to the, the gym. It's usually in a hotel, you know, and I'll do just, I'm not an athlete or anything, but I'll just do a bit of exercise. I'll come back and I'm conserving my energy the entire time. And then about an hour before the talk, I'll slow, I'll just sit, simply sit down, close my eyes, bring my attention inwards and really focus on slowing down my breathing because this is helping me get into the zone. I'm too relaxed now. So then I do five strong breath holds. That's increasing blood flow to the brain. And now I'm absolutely focused mm. because it's when you can get, it's really, you know, there's, it's almost that there's a sabotage, sabotage in the mind. And that sabotages the critical doubts coming in. Mm -hmm. I never understand it with when I see a, a footballer or an athlete who is trained and practiced for 15, 20 years. These guys have performed the same movement. They in, day out, back to front. And their brain has tracked and recorded every aspect of that. There's a muscle memory in there. But yet they often fall to pieces when they get out onto the football field. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is because the self-doubt and the criticism has got in the way of muscle memory. What we want to do is we want to get that criticism, get the critical mind out of the way to allow muscle memory come to the fore. And this is about being absolutely in the present moment. The brain knows what to do. The body knows what to do. After all, that's why you have honed your skills doing so much practice. We have to have concentration yeah. and concentration is not just going through the motions, not just looking at the thing, you know, not just being stuck in our heads. And I was stuck in my head and you could be in a beautiful, 
part of the country and lovely scenery, you see nothing. You're not living life mm -hmm. because you're stuck in your head. You know, and even how can you relate to individuals? How can you produce creative and intuitive works if the mind is bombarded with thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yes, how much of our thinking is actually productive? And psychologists will say that we have about 70,000 thoughts every day. 95% of those thoughts are absolutely useless. There is a time to think. There's a time to plan. There's a time to decide. But then there's a time to stop thinking. Mm -hmm. And the more you can connect with the breath or bring your attention into the present moment or connect with the sensations of the body. But I think the breath is one of the easier places to start. And listen, it's frustrating. We see people coming in with anxiety. They're so stuck in their head. The problem is they can't stop thinking. I want them to get out of their head, but they get very frustrated, which is normal, mm -hmm. because as soon as they have their attention on their breath, bump, the mind has gone back in. Mm -hmm. That the mind is continuously sabotaging their efforts. So we don't necessarily go with um, slow breathing with the individual with anxiety. I'll actually start with breath holding, because I will start with breath holding to help increase blood flow to the brain. And I want to, to get them to a certain level first. I'll get nasal breathing to help their sleep. With better sleep, we can have a more calm, focused mind. Mm -hmm. Then we bring in slow breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. So, uh, you know, you think of the amount of people here going to psychotherapists here in Holland. Um, psychologists, they're getting counselling, they're doing cognitive behavioural therapy. Is there anybody looking at sleep? And is there anybody looking at breathing? And I'm not talking about, go, ah, sure, you're fine, take that deep breath. I'm talking about breaking it down so that you can improve the efficiency and mechanics and optimize breathing mm. patterns. But the mind is the filter through which we experience all of our life events. Everything is filtered through that mind. The other thing I would say is make it a, a, a make it a, you know, a goal or an objective to pay attention to what you're thinking about, or at least have some idea of the thoughts that are going through the mind. Mm -hmm. And when you see yourself thinking the same old stuff, listen, we all do it. Mm -hmm. The human mind is mad. It's absolutely mad. And it's mad to different degrees. And this is where the individual who has the capacity to concentrate, look at the quality of work they achieve. But not only that, if you can reduce thought activity, happiness increases. Mm. And this was looked by, by a professor, Dan Daniel Killingworth, I think it is, but was through an app called trackyourhappiness.org. And basically they logged 250,000 data points and they asked questions, I think it was to 5,000 individuals. Are you doing something but thinking about something else? You know, in other words, are you sitting here and instead of actually listening, you're thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. And they found that the individuals, that human beings, that their minds wandered a lot. But the individuals whose minds wandered the most were least happy. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, our goal in human life is to have some degree of happiness. And it's our mind which is creating that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A, a great way to look at um, that that voice that you're talking about, that, that, that yes. certain uh, way of thinking. Um, the way I look at it came from a book called The Four Agreements by Don yes, Miguel yes, Ruiz. Yes, and he yes. simply describes it as the parasite. 
And and I know yes. exactly when the parasite is talking to me. Joe Rogan has a great bit in his stand-up show where he talks a little bit like a demon. There's something in your mind that's telling you you're not good enough. It's that yes, voice. Yes, yes. And it's very easy now to recognize when my mind is talking to me like that. Yes. I could just put it in a demon yes. box. It's like, yeah, this is nonsense. Yes, yes. Um, but I recognized very much uh, what you said about... Um, we've both done talks and you've done great talks and you've done sucky talks mm -hmm. at least and if i've I look, done them as well if i look at myself yes and the sucky ones were the ones where when i was, the mind was conscious i was looking at myself i was saying something and all of yes. a sudden that sounded horrible yes i have to recover from this and now i'm looking at guys that are looking at me and i'm thinking he thinks <laughs> yes. i'm he thinks i'm in trouble oh god this is looking bad yes and, and yes then i wasn't that was not good yes but the ones that were great yeah that particular guy was parked in the back seat yes and it just goes yes. through me and yes. i'm doing the, the thing that that triggered me was muscle memory because i've done yes. certain talks so much you can wake me up middle of the night show yes. me the sheet and i can do the joke that correlates to the, yes, that specific yes. sheet yeah but sometimes i i can't get there yeah and why yeah, is yeah. that because i'm talking to myself while i'm trying to do it Yes. And once again, back to the breath, what I'm starting yes. to take from this is that, that 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 voice gets more powerful as my stress levels and anxiety levels rise. I mm -hmm. think it taps back to the, um, what's it called again? The, 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 the default the mode network okay. that, that you have, your, your danger detector yes, that yes. gets ramped up. Fight or flight. And you can pretty much tone that down by yes, your breath. Yes, but you can, by focusing on the breath, and I'm not talking about the guy who sits down with the robes and the beads and all of this. And I think that's, oh, that's us. Not, that's yeah, that's yeah. personally, I think people often do this just for image. Some of them, you know, they're all dressed and they have the garb and, you know, it's not about that. It's about, it's, it's about bringing your stillness of the mind into every aspect of life. Mm. And of course the mind is going to go off in a train of thought, mm -hmm. but it's the degree to which you're able to take your attention into the present moment. If you can reduce the incessant and repetitive thinking by 10, 20%, that will make a big difference. And I think the more you do it, the more you can tap into that place that when you do go out on stage to give a presentation, you're fully there, you're fully focused, yeah. and you're fully in the present moment. Yeah, a, a great way to look at things, uh, I think, is by making uh, the comparison with marbles. What I liked about what you said about going to a talk, I have the same. If I have to go somewhere uh, and I meet a lot of people, I've already expended like 50% of my bag yes. of marbles for the day. <laughs> yes. And I still, and I'd rather yeah. keep them for yeah, that but the thing, thing I'm going to do that. You'll tend to meet the people that want to suck the energy out of you. All anyway. of them. They want so all you're better of the marbles. Hiding. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but uh, imagine the amount of marbles you save if yes. you could eliminate just half of that, that particular Line Only turn up very short time before you need to perform. Mm. Mm. Um, don't watch other speakers because that's only giving an opportunity for stress to come in. Don't watch any other talks. Talk o turn up for your talk and your talk alone mm -hmm. and stay in your hotel room and bring your attention onto the breath and conserve every bit of that energy. Going back to fighters, I don't get guys. I, I, I work for Glory every now and then, kickboxing. So yes. I'm, I'm at the ring and I see fighters uh, in their preparation towards... And I never get the guys that have to fight at the end of the evening and they're sitting in the, uh, in the, in the, in the venue and yes. they're watching the fights. I'm like, 
No. That's a great way to get tired, I think. Yes, absolutely. Right before you have to. Yes, this, uh, it is. And battle. it's a great way for doubt to come in. Yeah. You know, because you'll see fighters having different reactions. And I tell you, the, the mental component is huge. Mm -hmm. You can have trained every aspect of your fitness and capabilities. But if the mind isn't in the right place, it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. As much of even the running, when it earns a timer on it and somebody's clocking you, it's, it's already stress, it's more stressful than me running <laughs> on the road somewhere uh, near my house. Yeah. By yourself. Yeah. I remember there was a, um, um, I think he's from Denmark or Sweden, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt right now, Sebastian Brosch, and he has a famous um platform called yoga for bjj mm -hmm. and he's well into yoga and i remember him uh, when he was a brown belt he was fighting in the europeans in, uh, in rome and i remember i saw him fighting like eight matches high level and he's mm -hmm. he's high level um and i remember him posting like really proudly like today i fought eight matches uh, without breathing to my mouth yeah. just Chewing a nose, and yes. you know, when I look at myself, when I was on that mat, in one match, <laughs> yes, uh, breathing through my mouth, uh, feeling paralyzed or feeling uh, yes. this, this yes. chaos, yes, and, uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, um, it made me jealous to see how how much calmness he brought to the mat. It, it's very important, um, and even in terms of getting a strike, if the mouth is closed, the jaw is more stable. Yeah. In, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, there are no strikes, so this is just grappling to an Okay, okay. So, um, uh yeah uh, but, but he he did it in a very controlled way and yes it's even when i see guys fighting and they're in between matches they can look at the referee they can count scores they know what they're doing they look at the time <laughs> that never they're happens to me yeah. that was yes. just uh, for me it was just uh, after the 10 minutes i had matches where i just looked at my corner i was like did I win? <laughs> <laughs> I did. And sometimes I was even surprised, like totally, uh, you know, my whole body was going at uh, 200% and then uh, my hand would be raised and I was like, okay, I won. I won. I, won. <laughs> I, I don't know how, but um, yeah. Um, do you think, for example, for grappling sports like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, this nasal breathing helps as well during uh, the sparring and uh, is it? Is totally. It, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think your ability to tolerate air hunger mm -hmm. and to tolerate high levels of carbon dioxide. Like if you think think of, you're, you're, you're moving your muscles, your metabolic rate is increased, mm -hmm. the production of carbon dioxide is increased, mm -hmm. CO2 level is, is increasing in the blood, and that in turn is increasing ventilation. And breathing does set your limits. So if you're able to fine-tune the body, to be able to purposely tolerate a high level of carbon dioxide it means that your ventilation is less mm -hmm. and also there has to be some link between the point that breathing becomes excessive to cause stress of the mind and also to contribute to fatigue oh, yeah. we have a certain amount of energy as we sit here two to three percent of our vo2 is supporting our breathing muscles if you go for a walk or go for a light jog it's about six percent if you do intense exercise, it's about 10%. Yeah. And if you do maximum physical exercise, it's up as high as 16%. Mm. Now, if you have somebody with dysfunctional breathing, it even goes beyond that. So if you think of the oxygen that you're taking into your body, if you're wasting that oxygen unnecessarily by supporting inefficient breathing patterns, 
that oxygen then isn't getting to the cells, it's not getting to the muscles, and that imp- as a result, you're going to go anaerobically. Yeah. This can be all trained, you know, and I would say introduce two things into anybody's sport. Sit them down for five minutes, measure their bolt score. This has been tested in terms of, it was a paper in the International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy. They looked at a means of screening for breathing pattern dis- disorders in athletes. Up to 50% of athletes can have breathing pattern disorders. 50%. Any individual with a bolt score of less than 25 seconds, there's huge room for improvement. The goal is to get to 40 seconds. So that's the bolt score, which is the foundation. And then measure the maximum breathlessness test. Because you're, you need repeated sprintability um, with any combat sport. And in Tai Chi, I remember we were working with Master Jennifer Lee. She's got eight black belts. And she's a grandmaster of martial arts, which are martial arts which is a really good accolade. And she said, during combat, traditionally, the judges are observing the breathing of the opponents, Mm. the competitors. And you lose points if your breathing is evident. And this is really coming back to the whole, what was the foundation of breathing coming, say, two and a half thousand years ago? If I quote Master Chris Pei, Master of Qigong, he said there are three levels of breathing. He said the first level is that your breathing is so smooth that the person next to you does not hear you breathe. The second level is that your breathing is smooth, that you do not hear your breathing. And the third level is that your breathing is smooth, so you do not feel your breathing. Mm -hmm. Efficient, optimized breathing. We have to be economical with our breath. And BJJ is no exception. And that's why the guys were doing a lot of the, a lot of guys in MMA fighting have been experimenting with breathing. Mm-hmm. It's the one sport whereby they really have done it. Now they've done it with masks, yeah. and the masks too can concert, can um, impart an advantage. Traditionally, when the masks were coming out six years ago, it was all about their simulating altitude training. It was an absolute lie. So it was a lie. Because it's something that was never done by a mask. If you wear a mask alone, and we have our own masks, and yeah, it's show it again, to the camera. I mean, like we have our own masks, whereby you have a mask and you're placing it, and you have head straps, etc. But what does the mask do? Well, basically, you've got pooling of carbon dioxide in the mask, and this is designed to pool carbon dioxide. So that when you breathe back in, you're carrying carbon dioxide from the mask into the body. So you're deliberately increasing it in the blood. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, if I set the setting to high, that now I'm breathing against resistance. Darth Vader simulator. Yeah. And that is adding an extra training load. So nose breathing, we were talking about nose breathing being difficult during physical exercise. On the same pattern, the mask is difficult. So nose breathing is causing a resistance to your breathing, mm-hmm. helping to improve respiratory muscle strength, helping to cause the body to adapt to higher CO2. The mask is the next level. Mm. That's what the mask was doing. Now, we do breath hold exercises with the mask on to simulate altitude training. So anytime, you know, anytime anybody is making a claim, oh, we can simulate altitude training, prove it. Wear a mask. If you wear a mask, and just have normal breathing with pulse oximetry, 
your blood oxygen saturation doesn't drop. But if you wear the mask and you do breath hold exercises, then your pulse oximetry will drop. It's the combination. It's all about, yes, um, it is. So the mask itself by itself is not simulating altitude training. All right, Roger. Um, one last question, I think, also yeah. looking at the time, um, is related to uh, something that I intuitively think has a connection, but I'm not sure, and that is posture and breathing. Yes, of course. And like we don't put enough of an emphasis on posture mm -hmm. as you're straightly up. <laughs> um, but you don't want to be slouched over because you think of sports whereby the, the cy a cyclist mm -hmm. and a cyclist is slouched over. And as a result, then diaphragmatic movement is impinged. Lung, and as a result, this is going to reduce lung volume. So there's a greater F emphasis then on that athlete. But I think posture is, is important in terms of the, the functional breathing pattern that you have intra, adequate intra-abdominal pressure. And part of this is not just as an indicator that you have lateral expansion and contraction of the lower two ribs, but also that you're breathing in and you're breathing out fully. So what is intra-abdominal pressure? If you think of, if you went to lift the weight, mm -hmm. you will unconsciously breathe in, hold your breath and lift the weight after holding the breath on an inspiration. Why do you do that? Well, as you breathe in, your diaphragm pushes downwards. And as your diaphragm pushes downwards, the abdomen becomes like a pneumatic balloon mm -hmm. for stabilization of the spine to prevent it from buckling. So the generation of intra-abdominal pressure is dependent on functional breathing. But it's your posture. If it's slouched over, we're more likely to breathe upper chest. And if we're breathing upper chest, we're not breathing our diaphragm, using our diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And if we're not using our diaphragm as effectively, our functional movement is affected. So I know there are people who will criticize the functional movement screen. But 87.5% of people in one study who passed the FMS were diaphragmatic breathers. 87.5%. FMS? is the functional movement screen. Ah, so it's, it's a screen to determine um, functional movement patterns for sports. Mm. Mm. So I think definitely, I think your intuition is correct. All right. Got some work to do, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but some, but yeah. um, the good news is some True. big gains to be had because if this has the impact that it that I think it has after listen, uh, listening to all of this, the, the big benefits I see is way better sleep if I start doing this. I'm wondering if I should add the nose breathing to training right now because I would need to adapt. Do some of it. So what I would yeah. say to you is your competition is about in four weeks. Well, his, um, I got a little bit more time, but still. How many weeks? Um, maybe till, uh, when we're thinking February, March, maybe. Oh, you have loads of time. Yeah, Absolutely. but he has to go but, in November. But so. what I would say is do 50% of your workout with the mouth closed. Oh, yeah. During warm-up, no need to mouth breathe. During lower intensity stuff, Keep maintaining nasal breathing to the point that it gets quite tough, then switch to mouth breathing. Mm. You will still get that training load. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, you don't want to have a performance decrement so quickly. Yeah. So what I will say is, yeah, it's an extra training load. I'll give you the mask as well. It's an extra training load so that will force the body to make adaptations. Mm -hmm. And then you can switch to mouth breathing when the gears are too high that you can go all out intensity with mouth breathing. So you get the benefit of both. Yeah, interesting.
Interesting, man. Yeah, we didn't ask a lot of questions, so uh, you've been talking a lot. I talk a lot. This is good, man. This is <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I, I learned so much. Um, you're going to have to come back because we didn't touch half the stuff that I wanted to. But still, right. um, like I said, um, there's a lot of benefit to be had here. Um, what I also found very, very interesting is um, the impact it had on uh, child development. Yes. I think that's uh, that's a really, really big yes. one. And that needs yes. to get exposed more, I think. Yes. I think so. it, it is huge. Um, and you know it. This is all backed up, up by science. The science is all out there. And um, looking at the relationship between mouth breathing, poor sleep, ADD, ADHD, yeah, and learning difficulties. Why are we exposing the child? Why are we putting children into school? Fifty up to fifty percent are mouth breathing. These kids cannot function properly if they're breathing through the mouth. How can you concentrate if you're tired? And these kids are exhausted. Mm. So we're really missing something here. Yes. All right. And on that note, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Patrick, thank you for sharing your knowledge. Very insightful. Yeah. And, uh, Thanks for visiting. Of course. Thanks very much, Michelle. All right. and thank listeners, you see you guys next time. Next time, guys. Cheers.